All right, y'all. I want y'all to give Jesus a shout because this shout's got to be a height of mine. Come on, give Jesus a shout. Well, it's a great honor and privilege, and I'm sure those of you who know me know I feel this way to preach this morning. But first and foremost, I have to give honor to where honor is due, and they don't know I'm doing this, but Pastor Matt and Pastor Christina are celebrating an anniversary tomorrow, right? On the 10th, wedding anniversary, huh? So we're just going to give them a celebration. So when Pastor Matt and I, we went on a road trip that was, uh, it was quite fun. I came back home probably about 30 pounds heavier. I never ate like that because I'm used to, you know, when I go out to eat, I got my family and I'll share a meal with my kids, or my, not my kids, but uh, my wife, just to, you know, try not have an $80 bill, right? When you start having kids, going to McDonald's now, it's like $50. I'm like, good God, man, jeez. So, but uh, when we were on this, on this trip, it was a pastor's conference. He had told me about storytellers, you know, the, uh, what we were preaching as far as the sermon title, not the title, but the series. And, and immediately the Lord gave me uh, Joseph being in a pit. And sometimes as pastors, you go through what you preach. Not all the time, because I preached on Jonah. I've never been swallowed by a whale or a fish, right? He preached on prison last week. I mean, he might have a past, but I don't know if he was in prison. But I'm telling y'all, after immediately, and this is probably about a month ago, told him I was preaching on Joseph being in the pit, and I have been going through the pit. Pastor, I wish I'd have told you I was preaching on the promised land, because I'm telling you, man. Like, like I'm like, Lord, why, why not the promised land? You know what I'm saying? But the pit's not always a bad place. So let's go ahead and open up in prayer uh, first and foremost. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you use me, God. Lord, I pray that everything I say, Lord, is, is just straight from you. I pray any of my own theology would not come out, but it would be straight from your throne room. I pray that your anointing and your presence would flow in this atmosphere, in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you were saying about uh, me and my wife, we're the youth pastors. On Wednesday nights, we come and, you know, we just spend time with the youth. And I tell you, it's such a blessing to, to watch. We had, you know how Facebook reminds you uh, with the Facebook memories, which is not always a good thing because 10 years ago, I could not spell, and it is embarrassing. Like, like, I get these reminders, and I'm like, God, how was I like that? So instead of W-H-A-T, I put W-T. You know what I'm saying? It's just, thank you, Jesus, for maturity and growing up. Then I had earrings. I just, thank you, Lord. So the other day, we had got a Facebook uh, reminder that in three years ago, uh, last week was our three-year mark of being youth pastors at Radiate Youth and, uh, and Cultivation Church. And it hasn't been, you know, promised land three years in a row like we've had our struggles everybody christians pastors we go through that right but we was looking at a picture and, and it was of your, your kids mark when i was taller than them right <laughs> so uh and we look in and i mean you know they're all taller their voices all deeper but just watching them grow in the lord has been a tremendous blessing you know and i tell the kids all the time i'm not i'm not a numbers person like i, I don't care if we have five people i'm gonna live life with these five people like, I want and to watch them, and they, they're so mature, and, and they're, uh, not all the time, but they're, uh, right now, they could, you know, swat me at basketball. I'm getting a little upset. I have to pray for forgiveness every Wednesday because we play, but uh, it's all right. But I'm telling you, it's a blessing, and, and it's an honor. And if you have a teenager or know somebody, and, and you want them just to hear truth, I mean, it falls from the head, and we, we come from him. We're under his ministry, and Sundays has been Holy Ghost, and the, the power of God moves on Wednesday nights, and it's not because of me but it's because our church has a mission and our church has a vision 
and, uh, and it flows, and I just want to say, invite, right? And we do not feed them every week. Uh, so every now and then, we'll hand out two M&Ms apiece. We'll ration off a little bit. Like I said, I'm trying to be on the budget. But uh, no, we just, we, we talk about the Lord, whether it's sitting in a circle, whether it's, it's you know, we, we just, just preaching the gospel. And not just me preaching, but them. Last week, we talked about favorite Bible stories and uh, who was their favorite in the Bible. And of course, you know, the men, you know, David, Samson, right? And the girls, most, most of the times, Esther. And it was just, it was incredible. So let me get started because I could blabber on. You give me one word, I could preach on it for an hour or talk about it, not preach. So, but I, turn, I, I made my message, the title, Turn Your Pit Into Your Pulpit. For those of you who are uh, taking notes. And the reason I'm down here is because stairs petrify me, just so y'all know. And I'll pace back and forth. So I'll do cardio for an hour. I don't lose weight, but when I preach, I'm, I'll probably lose about 50 calories. So, but turn your pit into your pulpit. And I want to start with reading Genesis 37, 1 through 14. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is an account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wife, Bilhah and Zilpha. It's as close as I can get. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. In other words, Joseph was a snitch. And where I'm from, snitches get stitches. I'm joking, right? That's before Christ. But so he would go and report all the bad things. So right then and there, he's a teacher's pet. I didn't get along with him because usually I was the one who was doing bad things. But we're going to forgive Joseph this time because we're preaching on him. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. A beautiful robe, I'm sorry. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up the bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king? Do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And I'm not reading all of Genesis, I promise. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But a while, his brothers were jealous of Joseph. His father wondered what the dreams meant. So soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to the pasture went to pasture their father's flocks at Sheshem, hopefully. When they had been going for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep of Shechem. I said two different words, but we are right. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report, snitch. Just joking. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. Hebron. LeBron. So, but here it is. Joseph has two dreams, right? And I want to step away from this story for a minute. How many of y'all have ever had a dream from God or a vision, right? Or a word. 
See, we've all had some type of word, if we have a relationship with God, a vision, dream, or something like that. And I'm not talking about a word from a, I'm talking about a word, or even a prophet. How many of y'all been prophesied over? I'm talking about like a prophesier, not a prophet liar, that says, if you sow seed into my ministry, you'll have cattle on a thousand hills. When you know dang well, you don't even like cattle and know anything about cattle, right? I'm talking about like a real prophecy. Last week, Hope and I, we got prophesied. That was a real prophecy, right? So at some point, we've all had some type of dream some type of vision, some type of something that lit a spark inside of our hearts and gave us some kind of unction, which is the same thing Joseph had. And I'm going to read Genesis 37, 18 through 36, and that is going to be most of the read. I promise the rest I'll summarize. So here it is. We can all relate to Joseph at this point because we've had some type of God talking to us moment, right? We've had a vision, a dream, prophecy, or something like that. When Joseph's brothers, because they hated him so much, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him at a distance, which I want to go ahead and say, your, your haters even have to recognize you in a distance. They're going to know who you are. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what, he, what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, sorry, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him in a cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Just then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward him. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load, <coughs> excuse me, of gum, balm, and aromic, ara ah, Jesus, resin. I said that perfectly 10 times last night. From Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by Joseph's brothers, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern when he discovered that Joseph was missing, and he tore his clothes in grief. That's my child. Then he went back to his brothers and laminated, The boy is gone. What will I do now? Then the brothers killed the young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with his image. Look at what we have found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animals have eaten him. Joseph, and I don't read this much ever. It is killing me. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. And I'm not going to read the next one. So here it is. Joseph. God gives him a word. When God gives you a word, there's some kind of excitement, right? There's some kind of I mean, unless he tells you that, you know, he's going to doom and gloom your house, then, of course, the, 
and excitement, but there's unction to do something. When God prophesies or, or you get a dream, there's always this, this feeling inside of you that wants to pursue your dream. So here it is, Joseph. As soon as he gets elevated by God, someone's already digging his pit. It says, Christians, as soon as you get a word from God or a prophecy or something like that, people get angry, first and foremost, because they don't like where they're at in your dream, right? We're self, selfish people. So as soon as God elevates you, someone will begin to already start digging your pit. And half the time, or even all of the time, it's not even the person. It's the spirit of Satan trying to use this person to come after you. That's the life we live in. You have brothers fighting with, with dads. You have mothers, right? The Bible says in the end days, it would be like that. We live in a very selfish place. I just heard a story recently about a... Uh, Two brothers and a mom passed away, and it's somebody, you know, that I know very well. And the other brother just ripped him off and took the whole inheritance and said, I'm not worrying about you when they had written paper saying that it was, it was for him. And he wanted these things, but that's just the world we live in. We live in a, a world that is not godly. We live in a world that will rob you, kill you, and do whatever they can to benefit themselves. So as soon as God starts elevating you, someone will start digging your pit. The Lord will always try to attack you after God gives you a word. The Lord will always try to attack you after you get some type of prophecy. Why? Because prophecy, when you get these words from God, and it's a communication, there is this zeal and this zealousness that comes over us. And I'm going to tell you all, the church has lost zeal. The church has lost being zealous for God. And what is zealous? It's devotion, intensity, passion, perseverance, urgency, Fierceness, a fire burning, encouragement dedicated wholeheartedly. The church is not like that anymore. There is no, there's no urgency of the church. See, the Bible says that God's coming back without a, without a, for a bride, without a spot or a blemish, and he's coming back for people, and yet we just go our everyday life living. God can come back at any moment like a thief in the night, and we don't even tell people about Jesus. There's no urgency. We forgot the passion that God has for his people. And if you love God, you've got to love his people. See, if you love God, you've got to tell these people. What does he tell Peter? If you love me, tend my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. See, there are people in this world that need to be fed and they need to be loved. But if the church loses their urgency and their zeal and their patience and their perseverance, we're not going to be able to do that. See, the devil hates zeal. He can't stand zeal. He can't stand the fact that you would feel uh, with, uh, you would have devotion and intensity. He don't like that. See, the devil wants to attack you, and he wants you to feel the complete opposite, which is inactivity, laziness, neglect. How many Christians do you know that, that neglect the people who need them? right? People in this world. The church is neglected. And I'm not talking about our church now. I'm just talking about the church in general. We've forgotten our calling. We've forgotten our purpose. We've forgotten who we are in Christ. And we need to, we need to remember that God wants us to be zealous people. Inactivity, laziness, neglect, discouragement, half-hearted, unresponsive. That's all the opposite of, of being zealous. Unresponsive. Why does the enemy want you to be unresponsive? If I'm unresponsive and you're trying to talk to me, there's a line of communication that will be closed because I'm unresponsive. 
See, that's what the devil wants. He wants you to be unresponsive. That way, when God tries to give you a word, the, the line of communication is cut, and you're trying to talk to somebody with a 1990s phone with a cut cord. The youth group wouldn't understand that one, right? Be all throughout the house with that cord. Mama shuts the door, and you, it's cut. But that's what the devil wants. He wants to affect your communication line with God. He roams the earth, looking whom he may devour and destroy. That's his goal. I'll start dancing. I like that music. That's his goal. That's what he wants to do. He wants to attack you. He wants to attack your children. Genesis 39, 1 through 6. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, <coughs> which is just first and foremost, and I wasn't planning on saying this, I took it out of my notes. But think about it. What are the chances of Ishmaelite traders being there at the exact time they're in a cistern and they decide to sell them? You know who the Ishmaelite, Ishmaelites are? Descendants of Ishmael, right? Who is Ishmael? He's a descendant of who? Abraham, right? Abraham had a child with someone he wasn't supposed to. It was a mistake. Ishmael is Abraham's mistake. Which the descendants of Ishmael, the Ishmaelites, God will use your mistake. Does that make sense? Y'all understand that? The Ishmaelites was a mistake. They're still fighting to this day. But God is a God that he could take your pit and turn it into your pulpit and you could preach from it one day. That is the God we serve. So he could use your mistakes. And I'm not saying go make a, a bunch of careless mistakes and bet all your money on black with roulette. I'm just saying. Right? He says, be wise, too. So 39, 1 through 6. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by Potiphar, Ishmael, I'm sorry, the Ishmaelites, traitors, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian masters. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of the master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave complete Joseph complete administrative, administrative responsibility over everything he owned with Joseph there. He didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Well, that's a good worry, right? What kind of food to eat? In verse 2, it says the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. You got to understand in the pit, the Lord was with Joseph. He was with him. So here it is, Joseph, probably, and you have to put yourself in the story to really understand like just the, the wholeness and the, think about your family, right? You got brothers and sisters, cousins, whatever. And you go into them saying, I've heard a word from God and they, they just get so angry that they, they throw you in the pit. So, I mean, for me, like unforgiveness would probably try and come and hit. Like that's, that's my family. Like how could they do such a thing? But the Lord was with Joseph. And why was the Lord with Joseph? When you love God, wholeheartedly you seek God and when you seek God you find God and when you find God he is with you see Joseph in a pit 
and he's in a pit at this point, and then he's back and working for this man, right? God never left him. Why? Because Joseph never stopped seeking God. See, we, we always try and allow our uh, situations to dictate our relationship with God, and that's never necessarily the case. Your, your situation shouldn't dictate whether or not you are godly, whether or not you're searching God. Because let me tell y'all, as a Christian, I would rather be in a pit for the rest of my life with God than be in a mountaintop without him. See, that's what we have to say. We always think that the pit is a bad place. And he was in his pit quickly, and then God used him and took him out. And now he found favor. Why? Because God was with him. See, he didn't allow the pit to determine whether or not the dream was going to happen. See, we often think that God gave me this word. Let me tell you, if you're in this place today, and you might have missed out on an opportunity that God gave you, you didn't miss out on your calling. And I want to say that again. God has given each and every one of us a calling. And you may feel like, oh, it's too late. Oh, I can't be used by God. You don't miss out on your calling until you're on your deathbed and you never lived the life God called you to live. You might have missed out on an opportunity, but God still wants to use you. Does that make sense? So Joseph, seek God wholeheartedly. And that's why God was with him. Joseph is taken out of his culture and he's thrown into an Egyptian culture, a godless culture, right? Joseph was 17, teenager. How many of y'all know teenagers deal with peer pressure? How many of y'all know adults deal with peer pressure, right? I mean, I guess that never stops. So Joseph in a culture that's a godless culture. And everyone noticed Christ in him. What does it say? It said, Potiphar knew that God was with him. He seen that God was with him. And because of Joseph, he was getting blessed. So here it is. A culture that is not godly. And Joseph's in it. And Joseph remains faithful. He remains faithful. Y'all, we live in a culture that is not of God. They've taken God out of schools. They've taken God out of everything. I mean, it's, we're living in a culture that's not godly. And we have a decision. We could be like Joseph in this situation and say, I am going to not conform myself to a culture, but I'm going to stay set apart. I'm going to remain blameless, and I'm going to seek God wholeheartedly. See, we live in a culture that doesn't love God. And the church in, in this day and age is trying to, to bend and fit in with a culture when God never created us to look like a culture. He, he created us to be set apart. And we're trying to fit in and do these amazing things to draw people in when God never intended that. All God needs is your, your body and for him to be living inside of you and people will get drawn to that. We don't need fog machines. We don't need all this cool stuff. Now, I like the coffee. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying. But God just needs someone willing. He needs someone who's going to search him and seek him wholeheartedly. Joseph's in a culture where people don't serve God. People, he's not the God of their culture, but he never changes. He never changes. He's never conformed. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. See, as Christians, we should not look like the world. 
As I said earlier, God's coming back for a bride without a spot of blemish. You know what he's coming back for? He's coming back for someone who looks like him. That's what he's coming back for. And if we are fibble-fabble, and I don't even know if that's a word, but if we're playing with the enemy and we're trying to live both sides, because if you listen, the opposite of zealous was half-heartedly, and God says, I'd rather you be hot nor cold, but if you're lukewarm, I will vomit, vomit you out of my mouth. See, we can't have, oh, Jesus in this, oh, but I'm going to do this on a Friday night, but I'm going to do this on a Sunday. No, God doesn't, it doesn't matter what you look like on a Sunday. What does you look like the other six days of your life? See, we've, let me get some water because I'm starting to swallow my tongue. And I need all of y'all if I talk fast, so if you could just speed up your hearing, it'd be much appreciated. And I have kind of an accent. Just a little bit. Maybe a speech impediment as well, I don't know. That water lost me. I don't know where I'm going now. No. But serious, the, the church, we were born to be set apart. We were born to look different than the world. See, we've got to, if, if you are in a crowd at work, those people should recognize that there is something different about you. There should be immediately some kind of, whether it's you don't curse, right? I had a guy the other day. I got angry at somebody because they called me and cursed me out. And he's like, dude, you didn't curse. I said, I don't curse. Out loud. I mean, sometimes, you know, right? I'm joking. But just small things, there should be some kind of recognition that there is something different about you. And let me tell you, if the world can't realize that there's something different about you, then what makes us think that God's going to see something different about us? See, we, we so conform to the world and we try to fit in. God never intended us to fit in. What he intended us to do was stand out and be set apart. That's the God we serve. And those people that we're trying to fit in don't even realize it, but they need you to be different. See, their life depends on your set-apartness. Their life depends on your holiness. See, and we can't no longer, because the church has tried to be like the culture. The culture don't need culture. The culture needs Jesus Christ. The culture needs people who are wholeheartedly, full-heartedly seeking God. And they said, I don't matter whether or not I'm in a pit. It doesn't matter where I am, because my situation doesn't define who I am. Who my daddy is defines who I am. And he says, you are the head and not the tail. You are first and you are not last. That is who I am, the son of the most high God. So I want to encourage y'all, after screaming at y'all, I'm actually screaming at the devil. I get excited, man, because I know that the Lord wants to use me. And it's not because of my education. It's because I love him wholeheartedly. That's what God's looking for. Not someone with the education, but someone who seeks him wholeheartedly with a revelation. That is what God wants. The days of being polished and, oh, I got an education. God don't care about that. Jesus walked the earth and found fishermen and people who are uneducated, who got their GDEs, right? That's what God wants. People who are going to pursue him and all they do. Because people don't need fake. I bought a pair of Jordans that were fake one time and they lasted two weeks. People don't need fake. They need generic. They need real. They need authentic. They need Jesus Christ. And they need you. Their life depends on your set-apartness. Their life depends on whether or not you're preaching. I mean, you're reading your word, and you're praying with God. Well, I don't want to look like the world. I've been part of the world. I didn't grow up with a Christian silver spoon in my mouth. My mouth. I had my fair share of running away from God, 
didn't get swallowed by a whale, but I did face plant from 15 feet up on a dirt bike face first. And that was my awakening. That happened the day I asked God in my life. I'm like, God, this ain't looking good. <laughs> like, I asked you in my life, right? But y'all got to understand, I had a group of friends I did everything with. If you heard this story, I'm sorry. You can hear it again. Hope gets mad at me because I always tell her, hey, you heard this? She's like, dude, I've been married to you. I heard it a hundred times. Like, well, here's a hundred and one, one time. <laughs> so, but I had a group of friends and we did every drug together. We were best friends for probably around three years. The night I said I never smoked weed, I smoked weed. We smoked weed together. Then we did, you know, the next drug, cocaine, smoke crack. We did everything together. The day that I got in an accident, that night, they all did heroin for the first time. Out of 10 of them, seven of them are dead in a restaurant jail or been in jail. See, that accident, which I would look at and say is a pit, is the very thing that saved my life. Because I'm telling y'all, there is no doubt in my mind that if I was with those group of people, that needle would have been in my arm. Even if I said I would never do it because the night I said I'd never do that, I did it. That's how the devil works. But let me tell you, my God is a God who works. And all things work together for my good. The Bible says all things, listen, listen. Because we always want to interpret, read a scripture and just get what we want from it. The Bible says all things work together for my good, right? We all walk around, whoa, all things work together for my good. You got to finish that off. The Bible says all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. If you love God, then all things will work together for your good. Jesus. G-D-E. I said that over the pulpit. Lord, forgive me. But I, I, I'm telling you, March 9th, 2009, the life I gave, the day I gave my life to Jesus. And I'm telling y'all, Joseph has a dream, and he's in a pit. Now he's in a palace. He's actually back up on the top place. I've had so many ups and downs in the flesh, but in the spirit, it is always up. <laughs> Whether I like it or not, it is always up. Why? Because I remember a dream and a vision and something that God put in my heart years ago. And I'm not going to allow my situation in life now dictate who I am in Christ. So Joseph, don't even know where he's at anymore. <laughs> But we're in a, in a culture that's not godly, and we have too many Christians compromising. Compromising. Some things may per, be permissible, but not all things very beneficial. We're, we're trying to figure out what we could do enough of just to squeeze our little toes and get into heaven. If I could just get away with that. If I can get a, God's looking for a pure bride without spot or blemish. And not to say that you have to be perfect, because if that's the case, then I wouldn't even be around. <laughs> I am so far from perfect. As a matter of fact, I'm so far from good. I got to carry my cross daily just like all of y'all. I got to repent. I got to pray for people. I got to pray for myself that I don't kill people. Like, not really. I'm just joking. <laughs> but it's, it's a battle, man. But we have to remain blameless and be a church that sees God wholeheartedly. Genesis 39, 19 through 23. Potiphar, oh, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be summarizing something. So here it is at this point. Joseph. From a dream to a pit to a house, right? says God was with them. Things were working great. 
I'm sure he was like, thank you, Jesus, for that pit. And Joseph, the Bible says, was a good-looking man, a lot like myself. Just joking. Just joking. But he was a good-looking man. Potiphar's wife wanted Joseph. She pursued Joseph. She tried to attack Joseph. I mean, when I picture a good-looking man, right? I'm not going to say that because that's going to make me sound weird. <laughs> but he was like a 19, no, like a 2003 Abercrombie and Fitch model. You know what I'm saying? You walk in that store, I had to repent every time I walked out. Lord Jesus. Like, is this a store or is this like some kind of adult? I, I don't even want to be here, right? But he was a good-looking man. He was out in the sun. He had a tan, had a six-pack. He had it going for him. Y'all get, uh, get the Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. That's where it talks about his six-pack. I'm joking. So, um, but she wanted something she couldn't have. Why? Because he seeked God wholehearted, right? He wasn't going to allow her. And she gets mad, and she gets angry, and she rips off his coat. Second time he had a coat ripped off. Rips off his coat and starts screaming, rape, rape. Here it is, Joseph, that he finally thought that things were starting to look together, right? Things were starting to work out. And he's, he's blameless, and he's seeking God wholeheartedly. And he's like, God, I'm, but I'm doing your work. And he, the, the husband comes home, Potiphar, and he gets so angry, and he puts Joseph in prison. At some point, I mean, if, if he was human, at some point he had to think, God, is this really, like, happening to me? Right? Like, I'm supposed to be, like, doing all this stuff for you. You gave me a dream, and now I'm in prison, which is worse than a pit. As Christians, there are times in our walk that you feel like you take one step forward and then two steps back. And I'm almost doing a shuffle. One step forward and two steps back. Right? Come on. We live a life like that. Have, am I the only person that has been in a pit at times? Am I the only person that's been through a struggle? Huh? Why? Why is it like that? Because the devil's roaming the earth like a lion. He ain't a lion. He's trying to act like a lion. Look in whom he may devour. He hates you. And you, you may feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, that's it. I'm, I'm working for Potter for things are good, right? I'm doing great. And the devil just comes and attacks you like that. So here it is, Genesis 39, 19 through 23. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took, 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 he took over. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything the Lord, took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Caused everything he did to succeed. I'm here to tell y'all, if you're in a rough patch, right? A pit, prison, which to me is almost like the same thing. You're in a dark place. You see God wholeheartedly. He's with you. He's with you. I'm telling y'all, and, and it's not even necessarily 
when I, when I told him what I was preaching on, I'm telling y'all, I, I went through the pit. I, I'm, I'm preaching from the pit right now. I'm preaching from it, right? But let me tell y'all, like I said earlier, the pit with Jesus Christ is better than the mountaintop without him. It's a good place. It's a place, I, I'm telling you, I would, my whole Christian walk has been in pits. Pit stop after pit stop after pit stop. But you know what I had to come to the realization as a Christian? That's not about what I'm going through, but it's about what I'm going to. See, it ain't about where I'm at now, but it's about where has God called me and where he's going to bring me out to if I remain faithful. Because there's pit stops and then there's just, you can go off the grid. So you might be here today and you might be in a pit. I want to tell you all that it's not necessarily a bad place. Now, there's multiple pits, right? If you're living in sin, <laughs> you're going to be in a pit. I'm just being real. That's, a, that's the pit of hell. If you live a life without Christ, there's a pit. You need Jesus to get out. It's a pit that I don't want to be in. I've been there. And I, I'm telling y'all, my life is hard enough with Jesus. I can't imagine living without him. People ask me all the time, why are you saved? Do you see my life? If I wasn't saved, do you, can you imagine where I would be? Having three daughters, I keep you serving Jesus. I'm telling y'all, and they ain't even teenagers yet. I watched, what's that movie, the Quiver Arrows movie that just came out? Y'all seen I heard about that? Something about arrows, about a dad marrying his daughters. Anyways, no, not, not marrying his daughters, like handing his daughters off. Like he, his daughter was old and she was about to get married. Y'all, that sounded bad. <laughs> it's who I am. You love me or you hate me, it doesn't matter. But let me tell y'all, I cried for 45 minutes to the point to where I had to walk away because my wife was looking at me like, did I marry a woman? <laughs> like, I'm serious. Like, I had to go get my hormones checked after that. I'm like, something is not right. Like, my kids, they, they, I'm telling you. <laughs> so I can't imagine having teenage girls. But you know what? It ain't what I'm going through. It's what I'm going to. And the reason I'm growing my hair so I could do a Donald Trump come over. Y'all just don't know. So Joseph. Joseph. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just a matter of being in a convertible with my hair blowing all around. That's when the truth comes out. <laughs> tell y'all, looks could be deceiving. Joseph's in a, in, a, in a prison. He's in a prison. I've been in prisons in my life, right? Like not, I mean real prison too, but also like I've been in a, in a situation to where spiritually I felt like I was getting whole captive. See, in the pit, in the pit there was nobody chaining him up. He was just stuck in a pit. But in a prison, you feel like you can't get out. You're chained up. How many of y'all have been in a prison like that where the devil is like, hey, you have no voice? It doesn't matter. Like, you are stuck in a prison. You are chained up. He preached on it the other day with Paul and Silas, right? And what happened? It wasn't until Paul and Silas took those chains and made them tangerine, tambourines, or whatever, those chain chain things that they had back in the day in the old school church, right? And started worshiping God. That's what his message was on. So Joseph, while he's in a prison, 
I've said a hundred times. There's a cupbearer, and I'm not, I can't read all of Joseph because it is ridiculously long, so I'm just going to try and summarize it as best as I can. And if you've heard the story, great. If not, go and read it. But <clears throat> he's in a prison. And what? For the hundredth time, right? Y'all like, okay, can we get past the prison point? <laughs> and they have a cupbearer, a chief cupbearer, and a chief baker they get thrown into prison. He's in prison at Pharaoh's palace. So here it is, Joseph in prison. <laughs> and these two men have a dream. And Joseph begins to tell them what their dream means, begins to interpret their dreams, right? And he tells the chief cupbearer, he interprets his dream, you're going to, you know, do this, within three days you'll be back. And all the guys like, ooh, he got a prophecy, he got a word, he got an excited dream. I want my exciting dream. He's like, well, pretty much you're going to die. <laughs> so he's like, you're going to go back, and it's, it's just not looking good for you, buddy. Do you want the rest of the dream? <laughs> so, but y'all got to understand, this is how God works. In the beginning of this story, Joseph had dreams. While he's in the prison, he's interpreting dreams. Like he allowed, because he remained faithful, he seeked God wholeheartedly, right? He loved God, and God was with him because he seeked him. He, God allowed him to be used by God. I said that, like, I went around the corner, but we're back there. But seriously, because he remained faithful, God allowed him to minister to people, to use his gift. And I'm going to tell y'all, in your prison or in your pit, if you remain faithful, you could use your gifts and people could benefit from your gifts. See, we often think, oh, if I'm in the pit, I can't minister. That is not true. See, when you are in the pit, it's the best place to minister. Why? Because you need Jesus. All these people, pastors on a mountaintop, act like that, you know what, don't stink. No, that's not real. People want to know that you go through real-life problems and you live a real life and you're not a vampire and you actually bleed. They want to know your testimony because if you turn your pit into your pulpit, your pit will preach. People need to hear your pit. Experiences. There has been so many times that I've been through a situation and I didn't understand why. And God, because I remained faithful and I prayed and I read my word and I had a relationship with him, someone needed what I went through. And let me tell you, when I was putting this message together, God kept on showing me you. And I don't know why you're sitting in front of me other than the fact that I know you're like a sister. Yes. And you love me. And your husband as well. Y'all like brother and sister. But I just, I, and I, it, this is just what the Lord gave me. And it might not be a prophecy. I don't know what it is. I don't. But you've been through a pit. You've been through a pit. And let me tell you something. Your pit, because you remained faithful when not a lot of people would have, and there's been times when maybe you didn't want to, but you knew you had to because you know that he has called you, people are going to benefit from your pit. See, because you've turned your pit into your pulpit, it's going to be a place where you can minister. You already started. And to do you another person. You're in a pit. And I'm fighting to even talk, but let me tell you something. God's in your pit. Let me tell you, every time I see you, I see life. I, I do. I see life. And it's not because of 
you, but it, it's because of the Christ in you. And let me tell you something. People need your story. Yes. Come on. See, and you didn't even have to hear it from me. He's the one who just spoke it. He's ministering in a pit. And I want to tell you, a pit is not a bad place because Jesus is with you. Every time I see him, man, I'm like, I don't understand how he does it. He loves the Lord wholeheartedly. And if you need some edification, or you need some encouragement, find that man. Because he can minister. So in a pit, I'm sorry, in a prison, he interprets. In the beginning, he had dreams, and because he seeked God wholeheartedly at the end, or in the middle, right, he's interpreting them. See, we, as, as people, I got to hurry up. As people, sorry, y'all, golly. 20 minutes went by fast. But as people with a fleshly bond, we look at people and say they're in a pit and we automatically disqualify them because we think there's some type of secret sin. We do. We're a judgmental. We're, we're future Jews thinking we're better than everybody else and we deserve so much more than everybody else. We feel like we're entitled. But we automatically assume because they're in a pit that there's some type of sin. Maybe God called them to go into that pit. And I'm going to fast forward. Why? Because for the sake of time. But Joseph, he was in prison. Amen for the 103rd. And there comes a time where Pharaoh has a dream and he needs his dream interpreted. And there's nobody else that can interpret his dream. And the cupbearer that gets released to prison, I don't get released to prison, that don't make sense, gets released from prison, right? Joseph says, remember me, two years go by. That dude ain't said Jack. He got traded and robbed again, right? But there comes a time where Potiphar has a dream and he needs, I'm sorry, Pharaoh has a dream and he needs an interpreter. And Joseph, they take him out and he interprets his dream. And because he interpreted his dream, Pharaoh makes him second in command. Second in command. See, what the devil had intended to be a setback was actually a setup so that God can use him. 
See, when you feel like you're in a pit because you messed up or whether or not, it doesn't matter. But if you stay focused and you always pursue God full-heartedly, your setback could be your setup. In the situation I'm in in my life right now, I don't care what happens to me. See, the devil could come, he could rob everything I possess, he could rob everything I own and take it and strip it from me, but there is one thing that the devil will never be able to touch, and that is your salvation. And if you seek God wholeheartedly and you pursue God, it doesn't matter if you live, it doesn't matter if you die, it doesn't matter if you're in a pit, it doesn't matter if you're in a prison. So Joseph, he's, he's now went from a pit to a house, to a prison, to a palace. It wasn't about what he was going through. See, in order to get to where God had called him to be, he had to go through something. God will allow you and send you through something. In the beginning of this story, it said he got thrown into a pit. If you read later on, it says that he was sent to the pit. He was sent to the pit. You might feel like you've been through a struggle. You might feel like you've been through the pit. It ain't a bad place. Maybe God sent you. Not for you. Maybe for someone else, and I'm going to close out. His family, the very people that threw him in a pit later on, there's a famine. And one of the, the dreams, or the dreams that Pharaoh had is that there was going to be a famine. So Joseph told him, you need to store up all the good and the, and the food and store it up for seven years. And seven years after that, there's going to be a great famine. And through this dream and through, through this interpretation of God using Joseph and Joseph using his gifts, Pharaoh stores up and there's other people that are hungry now. The nation is starting to get affected by this famine. And Joseph, Joseph's brothers, they have no food. So they go to Egypt. The dad says, what are you doing just standing around here? Go to Egypt. Trade some land. Do something. We need food. <coughs> we need to eat. And they go to Egypt, not even realizing, because if y'all think about it, they think their brother's dead or in prison or, or in a pit. <coughs> they don't know. <clears throat> they don't know what happened to him. And they get there. And the Bible says that Joseph recognizes them. But they do not recognize him. And you can say maybe he's grown up now. But I've seen people at 18 now, 30-something, and there still is a resemblance, and I know who they are. I think it was something spiritual. See, when you go through hell and you go through your, your, your trials and your tribulations, if you remain faithful to God in that, you will walk out looking different. Like refined gold goes through a process like Pastor Matt had prophesied over us. And it's not always an easy process. It goes through something. But when it comes out, it is pure. See, you have to go through situations in your life, and you might not be stuck in those situations, but he sent you. Why? So you could come out purified. See, Joseph went through all of that to help his family. He went through all of that to feed his family. See, his, his pit was maybe necessarily even about him. One of his brothers was Judah. And the bloodline from Judah is Jesus Christ. So maybe he went through all of that to keep that bloodline alive so that Jesus and God could use that situation. Does that make sense? Amen, Pastor Matt, you can come up here.
How many of you were encouraged this morning? You know, one of the things that I really, I, I, I felt, you know, as Stefan and I were talking before and even this morning is, is that, uh, you know, there's a particular scripture in Psalms 105:19 that says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. And, you know, I believe that if you look at Joseph when he first got his dream, he was probably a little arrogant with his dream and didn't have the character necessary to be in the position that God was calling him to. And uh, because for, for Joseph, I think it was more to do with the ability to have power. But by the time Joseph got to the palace, it wasn't about power, it was about posture. You see, it's not your position that gives you power, it's your posture that gives you power. You know, for some of you, you might be here today and you might be thinking to yourself, you know what, I've had the dream, I've had a vision, I've, I've had this that God has shared, and you haven't seen it come to pass, and maybe it's because God still has to deal with you on your posture. Because the posture that you have to have is one that lays prostrate before God, the one that lays flat before Him, the one that goes in humility to Him. He says he's, it's the humble that He rises up. It's the proud that He brings low. And so many times I think what we can do is we get so ambitious with the dreams that God gives us that we just want it now. But what God is saying is, is I still got something to do in here. Because when you get to the place that I'm taking you, you've got to understand that it's me, not you. So it's not the position that gives you power. It's your posture that gives you power. And you know, another thing that, 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 that Stefan touched on a little bit is he was talking about how in an interesting that you know Joseph had a dream and yet it was Joseph that interpreted the dreams of the, the, the cupbearer and the baker, right? Now, here's the thing about that. Let's think about this. From the time that Joseph gets thrown into a pit until he interprets those dreams, it's a 10-year span. Can you imagine being Joseph at that moment and they come and said, uh, well, we've had a dream? Joseph could have very easily said, you know what, I had a dream too, but it never came to pass, so I don't even want to hear your dream. How many of us are sitting in our seats this morning and you're, 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 you're like, God, so much time has passed since I had the dream. I don't even know if the dream is real anymore. And how about the thing that you need is the very thing that he wants you to give away? The very thing that you need is what he wants you to give away. The very thing that jo Joseph needed in that moment was, Lord, I need an answer to my dream but yet I'm going to give away the interpretation to them. I'm going to give that away. I'm going to let them. And you know what? Their dreams came to pass really quick. You know, he could have thought, hey, hey, God, do you think you could have allowed them to have waited a little bit? But no. I've been waiting for 10 years for my dream. I interpret their dream, and they get it like that. Why not me? But remember, God was getting Joseph to the proper posture. And I believe it was in that moment that Joseph said, you know what, my life is not my own. 
And then God let him wait another two years. And then he was promoted to his position. And you know that Joseph had the right outlook on it because he's the one that told his brothers, you didn't put me here, God sent me here. I believe there's a lot, a lot, a lot of good stuff that was said today that needs to be sealed in our hearts this morning. I believe that this is not a, the, 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 I believe the response to this word is to take it and chew on it. Sometimes you gotta chew your food a little bit longer to get everything. I think you need to chew on this. I think you need to go and you need to ask God, what, either, either one, what is my dream? Or bring my dream back to the forefront of my mind. Because I believe there's some dreams that have been laid dormant in here. And you thinking that, that, that the dream is not possible when you're right on the cusp of seeing it come to pass. And so I think you need to ask God, where, where, where's my dream? And I think for some of you, you can probably identify, just like how Pastor Stephan said, you're in a pit right now, just like he said he's in a pit right now. Instead of asking the question, why God, instead of asking the question, get me, or saying to God, get me out of here, maybe you need to start asking what? What is it, God, that you're trying to, to form on the inside of me? What is it that you're trying to teach me? Maybe you need to ask him, where is my posture? Maybe that's where it needs to start. Is my posture in the right place? So can we stand all over this place today?